so good to have you here. Great to have you join us at Portico. If you're visiting today, welcome. If you're joining us online or in the chapel or a video cafe, we want to welcome you as well today. Well, let's get our Bibles out. I'm launching into a brand new series, and it's called Clash of the Titans. I'm not going to be talking about the Marvel characters, just in case you're a little bit worried about that. That was just a way to set this all up. If you need to borrow a Bible, raise your hand real high. And uh, in this room and over in our chapel, our video cafe, we'll make sure you get that. If you're watching online or you're here, you can also get our app and you can track with the Bible reading and take your notes as we go through this. And so thank you, ushers, for doing that. If you keep your hand up and wave, they'll, they'll be sure to get to you and you can leave that on the chair when we're done. Well, let me tell you a little bit of where we're headed over the next couple of weeks. This is a brand new series that we're going to launch into. And we're actually going to look at this sort of clash of the titans from a different perspective. So we're not going to look at, uh, you know, sort of the 3D and the graphic arts versions of things. We're actually going to take it up a level because I think fundamentally all of us recognize that there are supernatural spiritual forces at work in our world. And whether we realize it day in and day out, they're there. So from a cosmic level, I think most people immediately go, well, I know there's God. I know he's there. And then there's this evil that exists. And in the church world and religious language and religious traditions, we talk about Satan or the devil or we talk about the God of this world. And uh, Paul had talked about how he blinds our mind to the truth. So we know that there's this clash, this good and evil. And when you look at the scripture, if you're new, new to the Bible, you discover very quickly in the beginning of the scriptures that when Satan rebelled against God, there was this uprising And this uprising would have just absolutely cataclysmic events for um, humanity and also for the way the world would begin to progress. So we thought, let's take a stop and step back and look at a whole series, talk about Clash of the Titans, and understand what truly is taking place in and around our world and how it fits into my world as a follower of Jesus and your world, and perhaps how it fits into your world as you're discovering and investigating what the Christian truth is. Now, as soon as we start to talk about evil and Satan, you know, some people immediately dial in and others, you know, they hunker down and they get a little bit nervous and stuff. It's a fascinating topic, though, to really explore together. Because while many people are open to the prospect of the existence of God, they they may not want to put a name to him, but they'll go, well, I believe there's a creator, a supernatural sovereign being. They'll do that. Did you know that the vast majority of people would not agree with that same thought when it comes to an actual entity who is evil, whom we would call Satan. In fact, the New York Times did a survey, and they were asking individuals, they wanted to know where they fell on this sort of equilibrium of faith, and they asked them about different faith questions and God and, you know, heaven and the afterlife. And then they came to the question of evil and the personification of evil and whether you call him Satan or the devil, and they asked people what they believed about that. 62, almost 63% of the people that they surveyed went, we know there's an influence, but we don't believe there's an actual entity or person in control of that. That's, that's interesting. That's actually quite sobering when you realize the implications of that kind of statement. They went across and they, they surveyed the Christian community. So they thought, well, if we got two out of three people going, yeah, yeah, we we know there's evil, but we're not sure that there's a person or an entity, whatever you want to call them, connected to this. So they asked the Christian community, and they went, do you believe? 86% of the Christian community they surveyed, this is particularly now in the West, they surveyed them, and they said, we believe, 
there is a Satan, 14% only thought there would be an influence, not necessarily a person. And what got even more interesting for me is the more I researched this, is our understanding within the church of who Satan is. So Professor Scott Poole, he's at Charleston University. He did a little bit of research. He wrote a book about uh, Christian religion in the West and about Satan. He started to dive into it a little bit, and he wanted to know what our actual thinking is and how we framed our understanding of who Satan is. And here's what uh, Professor Poole discovered. He said that for most Christians, particularly those that are living in the West, they have come to shape their understanding of who Satan is based upon contemporary imagery, so things that we see in the arts and the literature and that's all around us in film and media, and we've blended that in with our understanding or our remembrance of some of our Christian traditions, religious traditions. So what he's, uh, what he's discovered is that as you begin to speak to particular Christians now, he said our understanding of Satan is really this composite It's what we've seen in movies portrayed that has deeply impacted our understanding. And then we have memories or we are teaching or we have little sound bites that we take from Scripture and from teachers. And we put those two things together. And so we have a little bit of a distorted understanding of who is Satan. What does he look like? How does he work? Do I have anything to fear? How do I respond? Does he impact my life in any particular way? So our beliefs and people's beliefs in general range from the abstract all the way across to the mythical. Many, when you talk about Satan, if you ask people to identify or, or sort of give us an image of what Satan looks like, many people portray him, characterize him with red spandex, horns, pointed tail, right, and a little trident fork. That's, that's our understanding. And we go, well, that, that's that guy. And so we've been deeply influenced by myth and cartoons around our visual recognition of who Satan is. Yet the Bible provides an incredible amount of insight as to who he is and how he works. Now, granted, there's elements of this that is veiled in intense mystery, but there are also passages where God by his Spirit just exposes the work of this one that we know to be evil. Paul, a very devout follower of Jesus, If you read the New Testament, you're new to the Bible, you'll find that Paul wrote a lot of the letters to the New Testament to the churches of believers. So as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul would write to the churches, and it's our text this morning that I want to pick up on. It's over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, and he writes this compelling insight for those who would be followers of Jesus that we would know who our enemy is, know who the enemy of humanity is, and know how to defend ourselves. So we're going to pick up on that as we talk about the Clash of the Titans, and I'm going to read Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. And if your Bibles are open, just follow as I read this morning. Here's what it says. So Paul writes to these believers, and with these words, he goes, Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Just imagine if you were the recipients of this letter from Paul. Now, Paul has spent the first five chapters talking about this is what God has done for you, and this is how God has adopted you, and this is how God has loved you, and this is how God has chosen you, and this is how God has set you apart, and this is where God's grace is totally free. You didn't have to work for it. Oh, by the way, put on God's army because there's an enemy of your soul, and you need to be prepared for battle with him. 
And so for a lot of people, you read this and you go, I like the first five chapters, Paul. Let's kind of skip the last chapter here. But God knew that we needed to have some insight into this world. And so, again, while we won't have time to unpack everything we could possibly talk about today, I'm going to encourage you, get into our growth groups, come to our Wednesday night one, and we'll just unpack this a little bit, get a little bit deeper into it. But for our, our purposes this morning, take your notes out. If you're taking notes in the bulletin, you can do it that way or on the app. So let me portray some of the things that I think we should be aware of. And I'll talk through three different movements here this morning. Here's the first one I want you to write down. The devil you know. The devil you know. This is the devil that is portrayed through our contemporary society and the one that culture has deeply informed us of. In fact, a lot of our cultural understanding of Satan has been deeply influenced by comedians and how they portray him to us. Watch this. She came in the house, she had the box, Rev saw it. Rev said, what, another dress? This is ridiculous. Three dresses in a week, another dress? And she tells him, I didn't want to buy this dress. (laughs) The devil made me buy this dress. (laughs) She said, I was going down the street, I was minding my own business, singing to myself. I said, what you said, honey? And the devil stopped following me, telling me how good I look. <laughs> Rev said, I'm not going for that. He said, because every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. He said, you blamed it on the devil when you ran the car on the side of the church. She tells him, it was the devil. You wasn't there. How do you know? He said, he grabbed that steering wheel out of my hand. Rev said, well, why didn't you step on the brake? She tells him, because when he grabbed the steering wheel, I tried to kick him. I can't kick him and step on the brake at the same time. Said we had a big fight. That's why I was in the back seat when y'all got the call. <laughs> Rep said, well, how the devil get you to buy the dress? She said, I was going down the street, I was singing, what you say, honey, every day. And I heard the devil coming up behind me with tiptoeing. And I said to myself, I'm not going to look back because I know it's the devil. <laughs> and then he sneaked up and leaned over my shoulder and said, Say, mama, look at that dress in the window there. Said, it's on sale. Said, that's your size too. Got a lot of flowers. You know you like a lot of flowers. Why don't you treat yourself to that dress? I said, cut that out, devil. I ain't buying no dresses. You better leave me alone, honey. Devil said, well, won't you try it on? You can try it on. Rev will never know about you trying it on. It's free. They're not going to charge you nothing to try it on. You owe yourself a try on. I said, I'm not even trying it on, devil. I'm not even going to go in there and look at it. That's when the devil shoved me in the door. He <laughs> said, the devil shoved me in the door. I said, cut that out, devil. And he pushed me over to where the dress was. And he threatened me and made me try it on. Then he pulled a gun and made me sign your name to a check. Rev said, how come the devil's always making you do something for yourself? When's the devil gonna do me a favor? She said, I asked him about that. He said he did already. Devil said, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even have a job. Well, I don't know about that. I guess that's why I have a job this morning, because the devil made you do all the other stuff that's out there. Amazing, though. Humorous and yet insightful into the fact that comedians and culture deeply inform a lot of our understanding when it comes to who Satan is. 
So we have a, a lighter version or a lighter impression of the work that he does, and we maybe miss the deeper nuances of it. And it's even portrayed sometimes in our language. We don't even recognize it when we use it. When we're facing two rather difficult decisions and neither decision is really optimum for us, we're not sure which way to go, often we'll use a phrase like this, better to go with the devil you know than the... Whoa, you guys use that all the time. Better to go with the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And you go, Doug, when do we use that? Every time we come to an election and we look at the two candidates and you go... It's what the Americans are saying right now. They're just struggling with us all the way through. We use this in our work with our bosses, with our jobs. Better not use it with your marriage, by the way. That's not one of the ones to pull it out. But culture so deeply shapes it. And so this devil that we know is really deeply informed by our culture. So drive it a little bit deeper and think about this. Satan's existence is deeply embedded in our culture. It's portrayed in art, literature, poetry, music, media, TV, film. Sometimes it's subtle innuendo, and sometimes it's overt expression, but it's there. 2014 Grammy Awards, Katy Perry gets up with Juicy J to sing. Everybody's applauding, waiting, and the stage lights up, and it's this deep, dark, horrific overtones of what many thought to be a satanic representation so disturbing, some people walked out of, the, out of the performance. Others were tweeting. One reporter picked it up this way, and he said, well, there was no gnashing of teeth. There was definitely the gnashing of Twitter. That's how they saw it. Charlie Daniels' band soared up the billboard charts with their famous song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. And many people think he still lives there. So, the dev- so they won, and they got their chart. They got their musical score. The TV and film industry, they fuel the sensationalism. Just think about some of the movies that are out. Rosemary Baby, The Exorcist, The Devil's Advocate. And then they have this other side where it just subtly desensitizes us to the true nature of evil with mainstream shows like the show Fallen or more recently Lucifer. And a lot of people are watching that one. Did you know the plot line for Lucifer is really based on this premise that Satan abdicated his role as ruler of hell, moved to L.A. Everybody moves to L.A. What's that all about? Moved to L.A. And he's now helping the Los Angeles Police Department hunt down criminals. Amazing what we come up with. And yet we absorb this into our world and it shapes our understanding of one of God's most alert, highest alert messages in the Scripture to know who your enemy truly is. Peter would say this. 1 Peter 5, 8 is in your notes. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. He said, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He goes, this isn't your friend. This isn't just an acquaintance in the world. There is a very real entity who is at war with God and he is at war with those who are followers of God. And Peter says, you need to recognize this. We see it in the life of Jesus. We catch a little glimpse over in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, and what does it say? Where he would be tempted by the devil. Jesus' public ministry begins with a showdown, a clash of the titans where this great battle would occur. It was C.S. Lewis in his writing who would suggest that when it comes to Satan, we make two very serious mistakes. He said one is that we tend to deny that he exists. 
And the second is we give him far more authority than he deserves. Now think about that. So Lewis would warn us that there are serious consequences should we choose to believe that Satan doesn't exist. So let's go a little bit deeper, go into your notes this morning. So if there's the devil we know, then what about the devil maybe we don't know? What's he like? Now it's impossible to ignore his work. In fact, all of us have seen it and our lives have been touched by it. Broken hearts, broken homes, abuse, disease, death, immorality, it's everywhere. And even those who are hesitant to concede to the existence of Satan cannot help but acknowledge that there is this ravaging impact of destructive pain that has been caused by evil and at his hand all across humanity. It begs the question, so who is he? Who is Satan? And for a lot of people, when they pick up the Bible, the full scope of the Scripture, they find glimpses of him, but they don't know how to put the whole story together. So let's take a moment today, and if you're writing in your notes, you can write a couple of things down and just track with me. So maybe the devil you don't know, you need to write down in your notes the first thought is that Satan was created. He was created. The Bible gives this very brief glimpse an insight into what is otherwise a mysterious part of God's creation. That prior to the creation of humans, there was an angelic order that was created, and this is where we catch our first insight. In fact, some of the lead angelic hosts that we would recognize, we know the name Michael, we know the name Gabriel, and we're not as familiar, but the name Lucifer. And they appear to be, according to Scripture, the principal, the highest, the chief among God's angelic creation. Lucifer, according to Scripture, was the model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Look at it says, Ezekiel 28, 14 and 15. God, speaking of him, said, I ordained and I anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God. You walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were, there's the word, created. That's important. And then the last eight words say it all. Until the day evil was found in you. So of this mysterious higher order of created angelic beings, God says, Lucifer, I gave you splendor. I gave you wisdom. I gave you beauty. I gave you access. And you chose to usurp everything I gave to you. And you rebelled, and evil was found in you. So Satan was created. second thing you should put in your notes is that Satan rebelled against God. And when he rebelled against God, this devil that you don't know, he rebelled against everything that God represents. He did not merely want to be the most beautiful or the most powerful. He did not merely just want to worship God. What God indicates in his word is that Satan wanted to rise above God. He wanted to be worshipped. And it was his pride that would lead to his rebellion and ultimately to his downfall. Ezekiel 28, verse 17, God would say this. He said, your heart, your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. And so I threw you to the ground and I exposed you to the curious gaze of the king's. So God's speaking of one of his own creation that would rebel against God's authority and God's divine plan. And he said, you have rebelled against me. And so he was created, he rebelled, and now we come to understand something about the devil we don't know. He is the enemy of God. 
There are a number of different names that were used for, for uh, Lucifer after his fall. Most commonly, we use these names. We talk about him as Satan, the accuser, or we talk about him as de- the devil, which means the slanderer. But basically, his nature is that he is the adversary. He is in opposition to all that God is. God's love is opposed by him. God's creation is opposed by him. And God's greatest example of demonstrated love, his human creations, the enemy is seeking to destroy. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 and 15. Here's what it says. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heaven. I'll set my throne above God's stars. And I will preside on the mountain of the gods from far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to the lowest of depths. Jesus in his teaching would even speak of Satan. And he would say that I saw Satan fall from lightning, fall like lightning from heaven, speaking of the fall that took place. John in Revelation, capturing the revelation of Jesus Christ, would talk about Satan as a star that would fall from the heavens. But then he would go on to say, and I saw a third of the stars fall out of the heavens, which indicate that there was a large rebellion, a large uprising, and approximately one-third. We have no idea how many that is, but a third of those that were of that created order chose to follow Satan. So we know that there's Satan. We know that he has his demons. We We see the evil that is existent in our world and how he exercises his expression. And yet the Bible just gives enough of this mystery so that we can be prepared. His rebellion is what he instigated when you think of this. The devil that you don't know is the rebellion that he instigated in the Garden of Eden. What is it that he offered to Eve? Oh, you can be like God. Go ahead, eat the fruit. What he attempted to do and failed at He now subtly manipulates and deceives and distorts and attempts for others to do. And in that moment in the Garden of Eden, he takes and corrupts God's ultimate creation, humanity. And Adam sins, and sin enters into humanity, thinking that he secured this great victory, and yet God says, I'm not done with you yet. So when Jesus comes onto the scene, what happens? Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11. The Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. And what does Satan tempt Jesus with? Use your power for purposes on yourself. Give me your worship, and I will give you all of these lands that you can see. Everything that he wanted in the beginning of time, he was still trying to get, even though he knew that his fate was sealed. So cast out of heaven, he still seeks to elevate his throne above God. He counterfeits everything that God does. The Bible says that he masquerades like an angel of light, scheming and planning, devious in all of his actions, attempting to destroy and distort God's creation. Satan is completely the opposite to God. He usurps authority. He he blinds our minds to the truth of God's word. He distorts, he manipulates, and he lies about God's truth. And even when he uses the scripture, and he uses it better than we do, he distorts it just enough to turn what is truth into a manipulated lie or to lead into deception. That is why Jesus would call Satan the father of lies and the original murderer. That is a Satan that many of us do not know. So C.S. Lewis said two great mistakes that we make is one is that we deny his existence and the second is that we tend to give him more authority 
than he deserves. So in your notes, write this down, the devil's domain. Let's talk about this for a moment. I think Christians in general tend to give Satan far more authority than he's supposed to have. I think in our language, we give ourselves away. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Bible presents him as a powerful adversary, a powerful foe, but he is not equal to God. He is not equal to God. And so often what we do is we give him far more power, far more credit. When something bad happens in our life, we tend to shift the blame and we give him credit for what was bad in our lives rather than owning some of the stuff that we do on our own choices. Sometimes what we need to do is accept responsibility that we made a bad choice and this has happened to us. So when temptation comes, he might provide temptation, but we're the ones who choose and act on our temptations and we need to own that. Does that make sense? So we tend to give him way too much authority. That's why Flip Wilson became so popular. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He made you think about it. And by the way, ladies, the devil never kicked you into the dress shop, did he? And uh, guys, the devil never kicked you into the car store either. So we blame him, but we give him permission. We give him power. We give him authority that he's never supposed to have. I like what Charles Stanley says about this one, authority for the devil. He said, the difficulty that we face often originates from one of three sources. Sometimes God will allow trials to come into our lives so that it tests and refines and purifies our faith. And God allows that. Others are the result of Satan's attack on our lives or others' lives and need to be addressed. And many are due to our own sinful choices that we allow that sin nature to be acted upon and we live that one out. And we see that all around the world. That's why Christ came, that he could die, break the power of that nature, give us a new nature so that we can live for Christ. So the Bible informs us of some very specific information now about the devil's domain. So don't give him more authority than he has. So where does he operate? What is his domain? If you're writing down notes, I want you to write down 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. John says this. He said, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That when he was cast down and when he was able to manipulate and deceive Adam and Eve and we handed authority over to Satan so that he could rule over this world and over our lives because of the sin that we've allowed in our lives, he now operates in this realm and this sphere. So don't give him unlimited power and unlimited access. Keep him in his confines the way that God has him. Satan has power, but his power is limited and temporary. He can transform. He can masquerade. He can manipulate and deceive. And he can exhort his authority in this world. But remember this, his authority and his power is never equal to, nor is it greater than God's. That's why the Bible, and I put it in your notes, Luke chapter 4, verse 41, when Jesus was ministering, many different times Jesus would come across people who were possessed by demons. And here's what it says, Moreover, demons would come out of many people, and they would begin to shout, You are the Son of God. What is that? That's recognition right away. They have to, every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. There is Jesus under the power of the Spirit operating in the fullness of God. Amazing. So Satan, when you think about his domain, is he a powerful adversary? Yes, he is, but he is not all-powerful. Is he persistent? Yes, he is, but he's not all-present. And is he uh, perceptive and insightful? Yes, he is, but he's not all-knowing. Too often, we elevate him up to the attributes of God rather than bringing him back down 
to the level that he truly is. John Ortberg writes this. He said, you need to remember there are dozens of references to God in the Scripture for every one reference to the figure of Satan. And this reflects a sometimes forgotten theological truth that the devil is by no means God's counterpart. He is a creature, not the creator. He is not the all-powerful one. So there's something else when it comes to the devil's domain that I've come across, and I just I want to make sure we set the record straight, we go right back to the Scripture. There's a great deal of misunderstanding about the authority and the principality of leadership that he has and where he rules from. So both inside the church and outside the church, there are a great many of people that believe that Satan, as the devil, whatever name you want to attribute to him, that he is ruler of hell, that he and his demons live there, they torment souls for all eternity, that Satan is barking out his orders to the demons, and they run around like his little minions and foot soldiers. And we see this portrayed in movies, we see it portrayed in pictures, and some of the most incredible paintings, artistic paintings, have this picture, this depiction of the underworld where Satan is reigning supreme as ruler of hell, and much like the TV show Lucifer, where he abdicates that role. But can I clear something up? Satan is not in charge of hell. The scriptures are absolutely clear about this. Think about it. Satan is not the ruler of hell. God is in charge. It was Jesus who would say these words, if you're writing it down, Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, speaking to his disciples, he said, listen, you need to fear the one who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. He wasn't referring to Satan. He was talking about God, his heavenly father. He goes, God is in control of hell. Now, some of you are going, whoa, 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 you're messing up my head. I'm not. The Bible is. We often give Satan too much power. We give him too much authority. We put him into a sphere that he has no right over. He's not in control. In fact, who is it that holds the keys to death and to Hades or to hell? Revelation chapter 118, Jesus said, I am the risen one. I am the alive one, and I hold in my hands the keys to death and to hell. God is in control. Satan does not rule hell. And the Bible does not even teach that Satan has ever been to hell. But the Bible does say that one day he will be cast there and he will be confined there. That's his place of punishment. And if there's a sound bite you want to take away today, this is your sound bite. Satan will not reign in hell. He will rot in hell. That is God's plan for Satan. So don't give him more authority than what he has the right to exercise. Is he real? Sure he is. But he's been defeated. Back in Genesis, it all began when he distorted and deceived and manipulated. And God said to him, okay, you went after my creation. You might strike at their heel, but I'm telling you what, I will crush your head and I will destroy you. And we look at scripture. Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised back to life by the power of God. Why was that? To break the power of sin, to pay for the penalty of sin, and to destroy the very work that Satan was attempting to do. And we often forget that when Jesus cried, it is finished on the cross, he was saying, it's done. It's done. His authority has been destroyed. Now, until the fullness of time has come, Revelations 12, 12, he knows that his time is short. Satan is continually at war with God. He was going after those whose minds are still blinded to the truth. Humanity is the battlefield where the conflict rages. He knows he can't hurt God. So what does he do? He goes after the next best thing. He would take as many people into a Christless eternity, blind their eyes to the gift of grace. Friends, 
Jesus already paid the penalty for our sin. Jesus has already provided our redemption back into the grace with our Father. We don't work for it. We don't have to earn it. It was done. It was finished at the cross. All the enemy can do is distort, manipulate, blind, and confuse. And he's trying to keep people from the truth. This is his war. So how do we respond? What do we do? You go, Doug, this is all good. Like, there's, you got Satan. We got a, sort of a distorted worldview, and now we have a better idea, and we know that he has some authority and some power, and we recognize from Scripture that he schemes his way, and he tries to trip us up. He tries to tempt us, and he tries to get us to act on our temptation, but that's a personal choice. We know that, right? It's when we choose to act on it. So how do we stand our ground against the devil's schemes? What do we do very practically? Let me give you four things to take away this morning. Write them down. Number one, number one, equip yourself with God's protection. Paul said, put on the armor of God. What was Paul talking about? You can read it all in verses 14 to 18 in Ephesians chapter 6, but here in just sort of a succinct way, Paul was saying, you need to get yourself into God's truth. You need to walk in righteousness. You need to understand the gospel message that you've been liberated, you've been set free, that you're no longer in bondage to sin, that salvation is yours. It's a gift from God. You need to immerse yourself in Scripture. You need to pray. These are the ways that we equip ourselves with God's protection. And he goes, when you walk in God's protection, the enemy has no control. He has no authority. He has no power over your life. That's the first thing. The second thing you need to do, write this down. Expect to be tempted, but refuse to be defeated. All right? catch this, expect to be tempted, but refuse to be defeated. A lot of people go, well, I'll never get tempted. And then when they are tempted, they give in to the temptation. They go, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He didn't. It's because we weren't prepared for the fact that the Bible says that we will be tempted in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation will seize you or overtake you except that which is common to man. But when you are tempted, God is faithful and just, and he'll provide a way out. So when you're tempted, he's got a pathway for you. So we know that the enemy might tempt us and by the way, he tempts me too. Did you know that? Yes. Oh, messing you all up now. Pray for your pastor. We're all tempted. How many of you have ever been tempted? Show of hands. People, you're in church. Don't lie to God. All right, here we go. We're all tempted. We are. There's sometimes we're tempted to cheat on our taxes. Sometimes we're tempted to cheat against our spouse. Sometimes we're tempted to cheat in relationships. Sometimes we're tempted in all kinds of different ways. We face temptation. He might put temptation in our path. But he doesn't make us choose temptation. That's ours. And so what we have to understand is expect that we will be tempted, but understand that we don't need to be defeated by that. We can choose to step away from that temptation. So number three, write this down. You need to resist the devil in God's strength, not your own. You resist the devil in God's strength, not your own. James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some people, when they're tempted, they just begin to grit their teeth. They go, oh, I'm going to resist the devil. Oh, I'm going to try figure out how I'm going to do this. The Bible doesn't say we have to do this on our own. What does it say? Submit ourselves to who? God. What does that mean? It means walk in relationship with your Father. Understand that he adopted you. He's forgiven you. He chose you. He loved you. When you understand who your dad is, that you're a son and a daughter of the Most High God, that He chose to send His Son to pay the price for your sin, and He broke the power and He broke the penalty of sin. He goes, when you're feeling tempted, when you're feeling overwhelmed, and you feel like the enemy is pressing in your world, come into my presence. Hang around with me. Talk with me a little bit. 
Listen to a little bit of worship music. Read a little bit of my word. Fill yourself up with me. And then he doesn't say, you don't need to go out and start to curse the devil and call him down and shout at him. He goes, resist them. Resist them. What does that mean practically? It means when that thought comes to your mind, you go, no. No, that's all it means. I don't have to choose to do that. And you go, yeah, but you don't understand, Doug. It's such a compelling, controlling thought. No. You just say no. You move yourself out of the context. You begin to feel yourself. What does the Scripture say? It says, think about things above. Set your heart. Set your mind. Set your thoughts on things above. Think about where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Think about what He's done for you. When you get a picture of who Jesus is, and you go, wow, what an incredible Savior. That no longer do I have guilt and condemnation. No longer can the enemy... See, that's his trick. He comes in and he tries to put guilt and condemnation and shame on our lives. And all we have to do is go, have you met my dad? Have you met my dad? Because he took care of all of that for me. So I'm going to fill myself with the presence. And oh, by the way, in case you're wondering, you want me to fix this? I can't. Because I'm part of that Adam thing. But have you met my big brother Jesus? He's pretty cool. And he took care of all of this for me. And that's how we handle this. And so the third thing we do here is we resist the devil in God's strength, not your own. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. Number four, let's write it down. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are a child of God. Will you stumble? Yes, you will. Will you make mistakes? Yes, you will. Is God going to condemn you and fill you with guilt? No, he will not. He is not the one. The enemy is the one. God looks at you through the eyes of his son, Jesus. He goes, you are my creation. You are the one I created. I loved you. I forgave you. Jesus paid the price for you. The enemy comes in, tries to steal all of this away. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It's in your notes. You, dear children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is what? It's what? Greater. Greater than the one who is in the world. That when temptation and struggle, pain, sickness, disease, confusion, you know, we get so lost in the temporary nature of our lives. We forget that we are eternal beings. That God created us not to live between the gaps to get up to the moment that we die and we go, well, there it is. He's all done. Doug's out of here. I'm not living for the day that Laura puts me in the ground. See, I'm probably going to die first. I'm not living for the day that Laura puts me in the ground and says, well, it was good to have him. Maybe there's another guy on the horizon. That's not the day I'm living for. I'm living for the day that I'm living into eternity. That because of what Christ has done for me, death has already been defeated. I'll die. That's still part of of the sickness that came with sin. Yeah, my body will die. But God says, don't worry about it. That corrupted one, I got a new one. It's going to be incorruptible. It's going to be incredible. You're going to like that body a whole lot better. So he goes, that's how I have taken care of all of this. And if you're a believer, hear me this morning. I love presiding over funerals. And we grieve for those we lost. But remember, those who die in Christ are God's children. They're not lost. They go on into that incorruptible state where God says, you now enter into this eternity. In fact, you already were there. You were living in eternity before you ever passed through death. Friends, we have a wonderful future in Christ. So don't, don't do what C.S. Lewis warned us, many of us tend to do. Sometimes we deny that Satan exists. He does. But the second thing we tend to do is we give him far more authority than he should ever have. 
And when it comes to the clash of the titans, and you hear the name Satan, when he brings guilt, condemnation, and confusion, and he wants you to look back at your past, because he does. He's going to make you look back. He wants you to forget about the cross. He wants you to look back at the past where you failed. Here's what you need to do. Ask him to do this. Satan, if you want me to look back at my past, I want you to look forward at your future. Because it says your time is numbered. God is going to cast you into the lake of fire. And that work has already been secured. Christ has already been victorious because he said it is finished. So we're just playing out the end game right now. When the end game is over, the new heaven and the new earth takes over. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning, may we live as your children. May we understand that we have power in the name of Jesus Christ. May we also realize, Father, that we don't have to give in to the enemy's schemes. But as we operate and walk in the realm of the power of the Spirit, we equip ourselves with the armor. We are victorious through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. We pray it in Christ's name this morning. Amen.